Welcome to Revive Emergency Podcast. We have a very special guest today. I've been a NAMI Connections peer-to-peer facilitator for a couple of years, and Micah and I got to know each other that way. He helps, he and I help each other in a support group we do like every Tuesday and for like, what, a year and a half, I would imagine. And it's always been nice to have a guest like him who have the experience of living with a mental illness and also working with those suffering. I know you do many things, Mike, in the community, and we'll get to that later, but be- without further delay, welcome, Mike. I'm so glad you agreed to be on. Hi, Robert. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And um, I, I always like to start my podcast with a little quote to just kind of set the tone. It's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. It says, the only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. I use this quote. A substance, event, uh, a substance abuse event I organized last year. Being reminded of my own title that I give in my story, knowing and being who you truly are, this quote has personal significance to me. In your own personal context, Mike, what does this quote mean to you? Well, I think that knowing yourself mm-hmm. and being self-aware is a very important thing. Mm-hmm. And also about self-care because oh. a lot of people, they they don't love themselves and they don't fully understand like what they're meant to be sometimes but when you know yourself that's a good thing and you're able to express yourself and to really take care of yourself you know it's funny because when i when i first got that diagnosis and we're going to get to your story one of the things i begin to realize later on as being a facilitator and being all the things i do is that getting that diagnosis that you're either you know schizoaffected bipolar or anything it does feel like you you, like a sense of loss and what i think i felt that i lost was the value i had in myself i mean it took me a long time through the recovery and through good coping skills what i'm sure you're going to mention in your story that really propelled me to see the value that i thought i lost you know i mean so Um, Your title is My Road to Recovery. What does recovery mean to you, Mike? Well, recovery means a number of things. Mm -hmm. When you're in a state of recovery, it's about you still have the illness, but you're able to function and you're able to get things done Mm -hmm. and also be not always happy, but stable. And I tell people, I like to think of myself as a person being about balance. Like mm-hmm. I know I'm not always going to be happy or I know I'm not always going to, you know, feel the greatest. Mm-hmm. But as long as I'm stable and able to function and help others, yeah. then I feel like I am in a state of recovery. Yeah. And, you know, I like what you say, help others, because one of the things that I find crucial in my recovery is serving others and helping others because that in a sense is my recovery you know because in recovery we gotta find some sort of meaning and honestly and with revive ministry podcast we do not proselytize here but we also i do implore people in recovery to find something they believe in something they 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 go for some goal you know like if you go through life without a goal and you're just going through you know getting your medicines managed and all that things get a little bit gray you know what i mean but trying to find some set some goals or some meaning in life 
does help in my recovery. What was has your experience been regarding that? Well, like you said, it, it's important to have a goal. Yeah. And what I tell people all the time is take baby steps. Yeah. You know, when people they get diagnosed, sometimes people feel like their life is over. They'll never be able to accomplish anything or not do what they want. They may not be able to work full time or yeah. they may not be able to make a lot of money. Yeah. But if you if you have a goal mm-hmm. and you work towards it, you can do a lot. Yeah. Even if you can't drive anymore or you can't work anymore or things may look dark and bleak, but mm. you know, I like Nami's last principle of support. We will never give up hope. Yeah. Because as long as we're still breathing and able to function and be stable, there will always be hope. Yeah, I just love this Nelson Mandela quote. It says, "Let our let our choices reflect our hopes, not our fears." You know what I mean? It's uh, it's something that I hold on. Well, Mike, you know, um, if you can, you know, with the listeners right now, could you share with us the people listening your story of recovery? My story started when I was thirteen, and at the time, I knew I was a little bit different. And, you know, that's when I could really say I had my first real break. Mm. My early childhood was okay, you know. Yeah. I was four when I came down to Bunnell to live with my dad. Mm-hmm. Before that, I lived with my mom. But my mom had a bunch of issues that, at the time, I didn't realize how sick she was. Yeah. But when I was four, she brought me down to, to Flagler County. And I started living with my dad. And I grew up pretty normal and okay. Yeah. But when I was 13, that was when I had my my major break. But at the time, people were like, oh, he's just a teenager. It's just a hormone. Yeah. So it was kind of glossed over. Mm-hmm. Then at 15, uh, I had my first blackout episode. Mm-hmm. I was in my high school uh, social studies class. Mm-hmm. And this girl and me were arguing. And then uh, she hit me with a high heel shoe. Mm-hmm. And I blacked out, and then I had a confrontation with with her. And mm-hmm. at first, because of who her parents were, instead of us being, you know, sent to jail or juvie or anything like that, they had us tested. And that's how I found out that I had the bipolar with schizoaffect. But at the uh, time, it was bipolar with schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so after I was diagnosed at 15, then 16... You know, that's when I, I went into the Halifax for behavioral for kids because I was in and out because I started meds, but my mom threw away most of my meds for that year. So they had to get me back on and regulate. Uh, yeah. So I went through the the institution for the, the little kids or yeah. young teenagers. Then when I was 17, I was rushed to Stuart Marchman Act. Mm. And I had joined the FAT team. Okay. And for those of you who don't know what the FAT team is, it's a team where they take 50% of people coming out of the state hospital and the most severe cases of mental illness, 25% from the from the general public, and then another 25% of people that sort of fall in between. Yeah. So they normally take the most you know, high rated cases. Mm -hmm. And I was on the fat team from the time I was 17 Mm -hmm. 
until the time I was about 19. Mm. And when I was 18, I found a medicine that really worked for me. And I started my what I call my stick, my road to recovery. Okay. And on this road to recovery, I was able to finish out high school mm-hmm. and start college. And mm-hmm. I went to DBCC, which is now Daytona State. And mm-hmm. at Daytona State, I graduated in 2009 when mm-hmm. I was 21. Mm. And then I continued to go from the time I graduated to about 2012. Mm-hmm. And after that, I, you know, started doing my my work with a lot of nonprofits and really working with SMA, you mm-hmm. know, doing groups, doing, you know, talking to people and really being in a state of recovery. But in 2013, that's when my life really changed because that's when I found the local NAMI affiliate. I see. And I was brought into NAMI. And when I was brought into NAMI, that's when I knew that I found my passion or my purpose. I see. And we're and, talking about meaning before. I just have one, you know, you know, we're, you, I'm hearing your story. You were very young when you first started, you're, you're like when this whole thing unfolded, you know, you're talking about you went to uh, Flagler, you know, lived with your dad at four. Going back to that time, assuming you were in high school when you were 15, I'm talking about around that age, right? How did this new reality, because, you know, honestly, there's a lot to process. You're a teenager, going through home runs yourself, you know, you're going through all the changes. How does this imp- impact your confidence? And how did you view yourself at the time compared to you right well, now? Well, I was sort of. I was sort of a strange person because I've, with my bipolar, Mm. I've never had the lows. I've Mm. always had high self-confidence. Even when I was in high school, you know, I was a big boy. I was almost 300 pounds, but I I had a phrase where I love me some meat. (laughs) And no matter what anybody said (laughs) or what anybody did, you know, I had a lot of self-love and basically people said I was a narcissist with you know with a heart <laughs> so <laughs> i love you some me but i also care about other people as well so what 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 obviously you know when you're in your teens you know um you know your parents make the decision for you a lot of times when you but when you became an adult like you know we're getting there you you started getting a lot involved and these are you know that's when there was a turning point that you said you know you know, they, like you said, baby steps in before. What was the turning point for you that you said, you know what, I have to make sure I take this stuff seriously? I know you, you say you always had highs, but what said to yourself, like, man, I have to, I, I can't, I can't just take this lightly? Well, the turning point for me was when I hit 18 and mm. I finally was on a medicine that was stabilized and worked for me. Mm. And once I found that right medicine, I was I felt like I was lucky that I found it after only about a year of going through different meds. That is lucky. And when I and when I was 18, that turning point when I was going through and finishing high school, I'm like, you know, I have this disorder, but this disorder does not define me. Mm-hmm. And just because people say that I'm going to be a certain way, I'm not going to be anybody's stereotype. Yeah, that's funny because I had um, Michelle Portier and her title was I Am Not My Diagnosis. That's the title that she wanted to put. And it really speaks volumes of what you're saying right now because you said to yourself, I am not 
you know, what bipolar, schizophrenia. I'm not these things. And and that is something that is very inspiring, encouraging, especially being in such a young age, because some people really struggle with this this finding, at least for me, I, I struggled because I had the lows. And uh, this idea of finding value was a big thing for me um, moving forward. You know, you know, you're talking a lot of times with, you know, I've had a, plenty, a couple of guests so far, but never have I talked to someone who really had their journey of recovery really start in their teenage years. So I want to ask you, what advice would you give someone facing like they're listening to you right now? Let's say they're a teenager, they're a high school and they're going through something like you, like they're going to children, inpatient mental health facilities and they're they're lost they don't know what's next they feel like you're saying they don't feel like that their life is over you know now you know especially all the pressures that you know you have at that age what advice would you give them facing the transition to this recovery because your life isn't over like you've been saying and yeah i'll ask that first and go ahead well one thing i want to tell everybody is self-education is very important because if you educate yourself and you know your you know your why mm-hmm. and when when i say know your why is why do i feel this way mm-hmm. and what can i do to help me cope the best way i can mm-hmm. and i believe in rap or the wellness recovery action plan mm-hmm. and I had a lot of mentors that they they have a rap for everything. Like mm-hmm. you could do rap for anything. It's basically you you start with your daily maintenance, mm-hmm. and those are things that you do every day. That if you don't do, you won't have a good day. So you, those are important things. One thing for me is meditation and taking my meds. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't do that, then you know I won't have a good day. Mm-hmm. Then we go to our stressors or triggers, and if you could figure out what your stressors are, mm-hmm. then you could look to avoid them, and you could look well to see well if I get in this situation, this is what happened. Then that leads to early warning signs. It's the way you feel yeah. about the stressors. So you may feel anxiety, or you may feel, you know, anger, or mm-hmm. you may feel sadness or depression. Mm-hmm. And then we go to our wellness tools, which is very important because it's good to have a good set of wellness tools or coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite is music and talk therapy mm-hmm. and also group support group. Mm-hmm. But there are many others. Some people like to exercise. Mm-hmm. Some people like to talk to friends. Some mm-hmm. people like to journal. Some people like to read. Mm-hmm. But there's a wealth of wellness tools that we can have. And I just would tell the young people, uh, never give up. Educate mm-hmm. yourself as much as you can. And even if you, you think it, it's not going to be useful, knowledge is power. Yeah. And if you have the knowledge, then you're able to better explain to somebody how you're feeling and why you're feeling that way. You know, it's interesting you say that because a lot of times I always stress uh, and the, I do groups in the drop-in center is this idea that part of recovery is being able to communicate well and effectively. You know, I know you do a lot of things and we'll get to um, 
those things that you do in, in your talks and you you've spoken before you've spoken at my event but the idea is this idea if you're not effective in communicating then no one knows what's going on with you you know and effective communication is also being able to listen to it's it's the twofold approach that really allows you to kind of gain as you say the knowledge that you need you know the like for me i have to journal like because i know like i do exercise regularly but like i know two in the morning if my brain is going 150 miles per hour not conducive to go running <laughs> it's not it's not, it's yeah. not. so as and uh, so i have to journal i have plenty of notebooks that i've been i already wrote through it doesn't make any sense but it's cathartic it's some outlet you know whatever that is i do like the rap i've been through rap i i'm not a facilitator but i've been through the actual whole process and i i do like that approach because it really is a practical an intentional way of saying, hey, I know I have problems, uh, these things are my triggers, and these are things that, that bother me. Why am I gonna go ahead and pr- put my head in the sand and pretend it's not gonna happen if I continue to do the same thing, you know what I mean? So for me, it's intentionally taking care of yourself and taking back what, what could be a s- very stressful, emotional thing that, and then, finding ways to better cope and handle that giving situation some people like you've been you're you've been in group with me a lot of times a lot of people stressors are their families let's be honest and like you know we just went through the holidays and thanksgiving sometimes is the biggest stressor whether you're in the mental you have mental illness or not you know you're seeing a lot of people you don't want to see <laughs> and it, it, sometimes it is so you got with a rap plan you know well all these things that you're talking about mike just to let you know i'm gonna put in the notes so people could find them so um so that'll be fine the just to let you know but yeah those these things are very good tools to alleviate the stress and um make the situation make you be a be a better coper coping at these situations just to add just to follow that train of thought i read a question i read this because I do, uh, you know, I do research. I try to get knowledge about triggers. There's one question stuck with me a lot. It says, "What do you think you've lost?" We, I talk about a lot. Or what did you not get that you expected or desired to have? It was suggesting if you have strong emotions like fear, anger, or sadness, you ask this question, you'll be surprised sometimes at what you find out. Depends on how much you peel the layers. Because a lot of people are angry and they don't know why. They're just angry. You know what I mean? They stick there. And you know, being angry for a long period of time is not good. Being angry is natural. But if you stay angry, you know, that's not conducive of recovery or self-care. So my question, Mike, is that question I asked you, what do you think you've lost or what do you did not get or expected to or desired to have? Have you ever asked yourself when you are, you know, I know you are, um, you know, I guess, um, you don't have the lows, but there are times when you notice that there was something off, obviously, that made you feel like, okay, what did that, what, or you, maybe even did you just have that emotion that you're just like angry at someone or upset or disappointed. And um, I, I find it cathartic to ask this question to yourself because sometimes you may think you know the answer, but there's another thing that's playing a deeper part of that whole process. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. So what I would say is, I may not have the lows that some people have, mm-hmm. but I feel the, the frustration and irritation. Yeah. Like I'll go through. It's not so much anger anymore because basically I've learned to control my anger mm-hmm. and to learn to let go and you know one thing I really like is I like the serenity prayer mm. where it it goes God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change to the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference yeah and I tell people you may not believe in God but there are other things that give people hope Whatever yeah. you believe in that gives you hope is a good thing. Exactly. And so when I feel that frustration, that irritation and disappointment, mm-hmm. I know and I tell myself, you know, there are certain things I can't change, exactly. but I want to change what I can, which is how I react and what situations I put myself into. And yeah. when I put myself into certain situations, I know that I try to do it in the best way possible that way you know i won't be as disappointed or frustrated or irritated yeah yeah that is that is very true um you know i was uh, i you know quite recently i went through some trauma therapy and you know this mike and um one thing that i was found interesting was that um you know i st- you know one thing that i've lo- uh, that i lost i i guess through my before you know now the healing because you know recovery is healing you know and the thing is um this idea that um you know i didn't want to feel feelings you know <laughs> it's like when i was like your age 18 when back in those times 18 through 20 in my 20s i used to say to myself like desensitize the sensitivities i kept saying that and it's a funny, hilarious thing because I didn't want to feel things. Now I feel a lot of feelings, but like I'm more prepared to obviously the coping skills and through everything I've I've learned through the time. But like numbing myself, being you know obviously seeing a lot of aspects of people's lives, people on their deathbeds, people who have committed suicide, been through those funerals. You know what I mean? And understanding that a lot of times, Mike, when I'm seeing the person, like maybe a week left to live. They never talk about the things they own, the titles they had. All they talk about is the connections they have and the relations they have, the ones that matter. You know what I mean? So it really puts in perspective in my mind, having that exposure that, you know, granted, I didn't expect to have until I became more involved in my church and more involved in other positions, in other aspects in people's lives. You know, these things are horrible to see and it's sad to see, but then you kind of get perspective of what's important. And we talk about communications and we talk about the serenity prayer, which I really like. I like the serenity prayer because it humbles us and it makes us realize what we can't control. We do not white knuckle and just bash our heads, in, but what we can, we try to, we try to change it because you know, we, there's a, there's a, there's a portion of rap that does suggest and it gives us back the control that we feel we have lost being mentally ill or whatever you're going through you know what i mean because you're you're going through rap you're having a wellness recovery because you want to be well you want to be better you know what i mean the idea is that your journey to recovery will last a lifetime but the thing is you continue to grow i always say to myself i strive for excellent not perfection if i strive for perfection there's no room for mistakes mike there's none but if I strive for excellence, 
it yeah. leaves rooms for failure because we learn more from our failures than our successes. So, um, I just want to um, looking uh, just you say anger. You know, this is something that was interesting. I, I was uh, just picking up when you're saying when you know you you said you you were able to you, through the serenity prayer and through your coping skills. You know, anger is a, it, it can be very devastating in in someone's recovery and someone's trajectory forward. You know, even if you're right, even if if you know in your heart's heart you're right and the person wronged you and you're being angry, holding on to the anger, you see it a lot in groups. You know that. <laughs> see in a lot of groups, people hold on yeah. to the anger and it does nothing. It does nothing because I find out that n- being right is not everything. When it comes to the relationship, it's all about being willing to continue the dialogue and respecting each other. Um, how do you think with your, can you kind of like share with us a little bit more of your course of being better at handling your anger? Because I know there's people out there that I have not addressed anger that much in my episodes before. So what would you say with someone maybe out there? struggling with their anger issues they get angry and maybe they're right maybe they have been wrong but what would you say to them and what what has helped you and what has not well the big thing i tell people is a lot of people focus on you know the sadness the depression this the suicide ideology Mm -hmm. you know things like panic attacks and anxiety attacks and all this other stuff Mm -hmm. but what people don't realize is anger can be just as dangerous as you were saying yeah. When you go into that angry state, you could go into push yourself into not only hypermania but into psychosis. Yeah. And some people never heard of a rage attack. Mm-hmm. And a rage attack is, you know, when they say, I see red. Some mm-hmm. people see red where they get so angry they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I had the unfortunate thing happen to me where I had blackouts. Yeah, And what happened in the blackouts is I got so angry that I literally blacked out and did not know what I was doing. Yeah, And it only happened to me three times. The first time when I was 15, when I got into the altercation with the girl from, from mm-hmm. uh, high school. The second time when I was 18, when I got into an altercation with a guy f- after coming from a police athletic league game. Mm-hmm. who drew a weapon on me and I literally blacked out and when I came to they said that I had beat the guy so bad I put him in the hospital mm-hmm. so and then the third time was in my mid 20s when I got so upset and got into a fight with one of my friend's ex because he was drinking and he got you know kind of you know stupid and yeah 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 you know, wanted to fight and I basically blacked out and had this big knockdown drag out fight yeah unfortunately it only happened to me three times but basically anger is a beast that one must tame mm-hmm. and there's certain ways you can tame that like there are certain ways that said music soothes the soul mm-hmm. I believe big in music therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy or talk therapy yeah because when you talk it out or even like you had mentioned journaling you can mm-hmm. write down all your stuff mm-hmm. and I had one therapist tell me write down all the stuff you're angry at and all your feelings get it out and then find a creative way to either destroy it or dispose of it like yeah. find something creative to do Yeah. and so 
we want to get it out in positive outlets. We don't want to go to what I call the negative coping skills, which yeah. is, would be drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Because a lot of people turn to the substance because they don't want to feel the anger or the sadness or the pain, but they just make it worse. And then they have another problem on top of the what was the problem to begin with. And then, you know, not to mention, you know, eating. Emotional eating is a big problem. Like if you're angry and then your your only comfort is to just eat and eat and eat, it will it will be a problem. You know what I mean? So anything that you use as a crutch, as specifically as a crutch in an unhealthy way, I view as a negative coping skill. Like a negative coping skill, even though it's not drugs or alcohol, anything toxic that's not going to help you. And also, when you talk about negative coping skills, being latching on to some people sometimes and being becoming codependent to an oh. extreme level oh, can yeah. be a negative coping skill. Because yes, we have those friends or those people we, we talk to in our time of you know distress or to vent to, but we don't want to become so dependent on that person where we feel like we can't do anything without them. And this could be a therapist, this could be a psychiatrist, this could be a best friend, and yeah, it could be really anyone. Yeah, and you know, me, uh, I could totally relate to that, being, you know, even just a facilitator and the amount of people who just, because they just want, unfortunately, they use you as um, a tool for their recovery, but we know we need boundaries. You know, we need that boundary, right, Mike? Because it's we because we are yeah. struggling ourselves. Because the thing is, you know, we there, you, you're that's why the rap is so great because it allows you to have a multitude of tools that may be may helpful. Like I could let's say I call you, Mike. I'm I'm struggling. I call you, Mike. Let's say you're not available. That's not my only plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like I could call you and that'd be nice. And the thing is, ultimately, you know, yeah, it is cathartic because I do find a lot of people in groups, I don't know if you hear this too, is that a lot of them feel like they're not heard. That's the biggest thing I hear, that they're not heard. They feel like no one hears them. But a lot of times they don't, like what I try to foster is that there's other avenues. Like people don't even they think journaling at least for me it works i know it doesn't work for everyone but, but like if it is something that works it is something that you do at any time of the day all you need is a pencil pen you can even type it out if you're a typer whatever you want to do is just to write it out because what you really need to do is diffuse you know because honestly whatever situation like you need to talk about anger what i find anger or any any traumatic event that you really are holding on to a lot of times you have a very small scope of looking at that that, that situation you know what i mean and what i find mm-hmm. reading a few books about forgiveness is just you have to reframe it mike you have to look at bigger picture but at the same time you do not you do not uh, say um get you don't say that that person did something right to you don't do that but it's more about your your own self-healing you provide yourself room because forgiveness like i said doesn't need two people just needs one and that's yourself because that's where the healing starts because if you just hold on to anger you hold on to these things 
what does it do to you? And like you, what like we've mentioned here today, anger is something that's overlooked, but a lot of times it is as devastating. Because honestly, the things that could happen wrong when you when you're angry, the things you could say, Mike, the things you could do, you know this better than I do. You know what I mean? So, so um, with that being said, Mike, um, anything else of your story? I know we. You, you touched upon your story. Anything you want to continue to um, to um, share with your story? You know, we talked about you 18, you got the medicines you, you, that worked for you. Now, moving into your 20s, and now, what are you, 30? Am I correct? Around 30 or 30 right now? I'm 31. Oh, <laughs> breaking into the 30s. <laughs> But, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, now, like looking back at your 20s, like obviously you got the right meds, but you know, meds is not everything. You know, it is a huge part, but it's not everything moving forward as you can progress in your recovery. What else during that road in your story that you see was significant? We talked about rap. Is there anything else? Well, one thing I would like to talk about too is finding a purpose. Yeah. Because when I was going through college, you know, I I knew I wasn't going to be able to go through and get a lot of education. So mm-hmm. I went through, got what I could, mm-hmm. okay? And then I found the purpose. And yes, you know, I'm not able to work a 40-hour week job, mm-hmm. you know, and make a lot of money, but I'm able to help people. Yeah. And my one of my favorite quotes is, to have a legacy is not to leave behind a lot of material gain or fame and prestige but to have a legacy is to help one person because if you help one person then you've actually accomplished something mm-hmm. and not only have you accomplished something but you will be remembered forever because that person will will carry your legacy yeah yeah I, I like that because it's not so much the, the things that you know mainstream society seems as valuable, but it is one of the most valuable things because I find that toxic thoughts, we're not mindful of our thoughts or how we see or perceive the world. Those are the seeds of the direction we're going. I don't care if you're 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 doing really well financially, you know if you are if you're not coping well, you know, if you're not doing, because, you know, suicide, and this touching on suicide, suicide touches every facet of our society. Whether you're rich, poor, whatever ethnicity you are, it touches everyone. And that's very interesting because you would kind of, people would kind of think mainstream society, it will just reach the poor. No, it does not. And so, um, it's very interesting when we when you when you're talking about finding purpose. I find that incredible. That com- incredibly propelled me forward in my recovery. Finding purpose. Yeah, please continue, Mike. And also, you another thing I tell people is never give up. When one door closes, another one opens. Mm. And there was another quote. I'm like you, Robert. I love quotes. (laughs) One of the quotes I remember hearing is, don't slam the door behind you. You might Mm want to walk through it again. Mm 
<laughs> that's a good that's a good that's good you know the thing is like um i always say to myself there's always someone who said it better than me so, so why not use quotes but the thing is this you know it is true because mike we've been, we're both peers we've been we have mental health for a considerable amount of time that we've been diagnosed we know that some of our biggest growth was going through the pain and society tries to tell us that we run away from the pain. You see it all the time in groups. We try to avoid it. I'm not saying run towards the pain, but the process of under actually understanding. I find that some of the biggest growth I've made was going through the pain. Like just recently, when I went through trauma therapy, that was not easy. Going, but like, and some of the things that happened last year for me wasn't easy. But I feel that propelled me to grow and see things differently. And like you said, I am I I'm helping people and serving people and that in a sense in my mind has been my biggest recovery one of my biggest part of my recovery is helping people you know what I mean so anyway um, anything else you want to share about your story before I ask the last question well well just to basically wrap it up it's important to find your purpose it's important to have self care Mm-hmm. and take a holistic view of self-care mm-hmm. and it's also important to remember even through the darkest night the brightest dawn appears mm. so even if we go through bad times whether it be through anger or through suicidal thoughts or through anything like that or low times we always gotta remember there's always hope as long as we're breathing and able to take breath in this life there's always hope yeah. Well, the last question the Revive Ministry podcast is trying to answer as a community of people around the world, you shared your story and I find it very inspiring. And I like the dynamic that you're not only up here, but you're also one who's who's willing and and like may I say purpose part of your purpose is to help people along the way, you know, yeah. and and um with all that said, why should we care? You know, I'm talking, you know, that sounds, it sounds bad, but like, think about like, for me, it's like thinking about like some of my family members who don't understand or people who just brush it off. It's like, I've been to fu- uh, suicide funerals and they're like, oh, he was going to do it anyway. You know, or um, the insensitivity that they're trying to put this thick skin. Speaking to those people or even people that, you know, you've met in your life that have been kind of blase or short-sighted when you talked about mental health in general what would what would you say if they said why should we care the thing that i would want them to understand the most is mental illness could happen to anybody mm. whether you're rich whether you're poor whether mm. you're young whether you're old man or woman mm. everybody has the potential to to have a trauma or to face a crisis where they they would need help Mm -hmm. and it's important to be we may not be empathetic like we may not be able to walk in someone's shoes but we should be sympathetic to to know that you know it is important for people to have support because Mm -hmm. if you have that support being in recovery is a lifelong thing and whether it happened to you or your family member or somebody you know that's a good friend Mm-hmm. It's always good to have support, and then if you give them support when 
when they need it, then they will be in turn will reciprocate and give you support. And yeah. we build relationships that way. You know, you know, I just um you know, I look at the bigger picture and to see that, you know, with with suicides on the rise, you know, with substance abuse shattering families and all these all these things happening in the world. You know, I just want uh, my whole thing is that none of uh, us shaming people and guilting people because they're going through recovery has not helped. And to be devil's advocate. And the other thing is that through my own experience, and me talking personally and seeing how it has affected the families who who have lost loved ones or had this traumatic or people who are just struggling going through mental illness whether they are sound in their self-care or not or whatever part of their journey and when i when someone asks when when people ask me why should we care i said because we can't afford not to because there's there's gonna be down the line there's gonna be someone you know that you know is gonna be affected somehow because we're we're just we're not islands, Mike. As much as we like to pretend we are, when we're when we're going through stuff, we don't want to deal. It's good to have your your alone time, of course. But at the same time, we are connected people, and we need each other. And helping each other, like me and Mike said, is part of our purpose, part of our recovery. Thank you, Mike, so much for being willing to share your story of recovery. Can you tell the listeners what you're up to now? Um, and anything else you want to share, everything you say, what everything you say, and will be in the podcast notes, so you don't have to remember every single detail. Um, so go ahead. Well, right now, I'm doing a lot of different things. Uh, one thing that I found too is I have a a club, the Toastmasters, mm-hmm. Coastmasters of Palm Coast, and basically. It not only helps me with public speaking and leadership skills, mm. but it's also a place to, to, to be able to network and mm. to meet new people and mm-hmm. gain new skills. Yeah. So even if you don't join Toastmasters, you could find a club or an activity where it's important where you could gain a skill or a release or outlet mm-hmm. to further help your recovery. So right now I'm working with them and I'm mm-hmm. doing a lot of stuff with them. And then also, you know, with the NAMI and SMA and LSF, LSF is Lutheran Family Services. Mm-hmm. I'm considered a peer specialist with them. So I help people and I talk to people mm-hmm. and I work with them one-on-one with rap. So I keep myself busy, but I also not in doing it, not only for them, but for me as well. Yeah. And just if you can, can you just tell people who are listening, they might not know, what is a peer support specialist? Well, basically, a peer support specialist is somebody who talks to people and they help them find resources, be it a therapist or a doctor, but they are not counselors and they are not psychologists or psychiatrists. We Mm -hmm. don't prescribe medicine. We basically are there to support people and give them resources and to basically empower them to empower themselves. Yeah, I think it's a it's a model where, you know, we're kind of as a community and to encourage recovery. You know what I mean? Encourage mm-hmm. and to try to foster that that, you know, 
that extra, you know, because the thing is, sometimes you, you, treatment is not all the same. You know, you go to doctors, you go one psychiatrist, you go another therapist. It's not all finite. But at the same time, having this this gap, this stop gap in between, so peer support specialists can be vital in someone's recovery, especially during crisis, especially if they don't even want to get up in bed or even take the medicines or see the doctors they need to. Peer support specialists are the boots on the ground that are helping foster recovery in our communities. So anyway, um, lastly, any resources you would like to share with anyone who that might be helpful, you know, those who are recovering uh, and specifically regarding like your story, like mental health or anything. So, so, you know, anything, any resources that you find helpful during your time in recovery, you know, obviously people who are listening, maybe mostly are going to be in the States. They might be other parts of the world, but anything that you find helpful locally, because, you know, people might be listening near, near here or even in Florida. So, Oh, NAMI.org is a place where you could go and see what the NAMI affiliates, not only in the United States, but around the world. Okay. And if you're looking for resources, they go usually county by county. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you where support groups are. And then they, they also give you information. Like if you're parents or caregivers and you have no idea about mental illness, mm-hmm. NAMI.org could give you the basic education and also has signature programs like family to family or peer to peer where you learn everything you need to know about mental illness everything you don't want to know but should know okay so nami is a very great resource and i'm not just saying that because i'm a facilitator for nami <laughs> but nami really no, helped good. me propel to to see that i could actually help people and have a purpose yeah and purpose is huge you know, I, um, uh, what I, uh, the one thing I, uh, this one guy paraphrased, he says, when you know the why in life, the how gets easier. The guy who wrote that, who said that phrase, I'm paraphrasing, is the guy who wrote a book about the people in Auschwitz coming out and certain after that, you know, and, um, a lot of them survived through that whole ordeal because they had a why, as awful as it was. So, um, um, Again, thank you, Mike, for sharing your story with us today. Um, um, I just like to um, say, till next time, we, this is goodbye from Revive Ministry Podcast. Please check out our website for updates and latest episodes for of the podcast at reviveministriesfl.com. I will leave you with this quote. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear.